0: Um, This is the last of our series um, called Price Tag and uh, we're looking at gifts that can't be bought with money but are absolutely priceless and we kind of kicked off with the Jesse J song about four weeks ago uh, now and we've looked at various gifts, we've looked at hope, we've looked at contentment, we've looked at promises, we've looked at um, purpose, we've looked at forgiveness and what we're going to look at this morning is the the, the final kind of gift really to sum it all up really is we're going to look at the gift of life. We're going to look at the gift of life. It's great to celebrate um, the, the birth, you know, and the dedication of two new lives physically. But we're going to look a little bit broader than that, not just physical life, but the whole thing about what does life really mean? What is life as a gift to each and every one of us? I've got to be honest, uh, as I've been preparing this at home most of this week, because I've been ill with man flu, I haven't really felt much like life. You know what it's like, men, when we get ill. Women, you know what it's like. Okay, so it hasn't really felt very lifely. Um, but hopefully, you'll, you'll get. Get the, the, the essence of what uh, kind of God would want to say to us this morning. Um, Mae West uh, was an old actress many years ago. She said, you only live once, but if you do it right, once is enough. Author called Jonathan Swift said, may you live every day of your life. May you live every day of your life. And then this great theologian called Groucho Marx, he said this, the secret of life is honesty and fair dealing. If you can fake that, you've got it made. Um, but you know, Jesus... Jesus, the greatest teacher who's ever walked on this planet, Jesus said some amazing words about life in the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10. And I'm reading it from a, a new translation, so it's kind of read slightly differently. But he says this in the message translation. I came so that they can have real and eternal life. Better life than they ever dreamed of. You know, much of the New Testament, the Bible, is written in Greek. And uh, the Greek language doesn't just have one word for life. It has about six that try and unpack the meaning of life. And one of the words, the Greek words for life, is bios, where we get the word biology from. And that's like the natural life, it's the duration of life, it's span. But another Greek word is the word zoe, where we get zoology from. And that isn't just about the duration of life, it's about life as God intended. It, it's, it's without um, duration, it's without hindrance, even death itself. And, and it's the kind of essence of God filling something with his life, so that it really is alive. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, I have come. Jesus said, I have come so that they, as in us, could have life better than they ever dreamed of or imagined. That's the kind of life that is a gift given to us. Jesus is referring in John 10 to abundance of life, fullness of life, overflowing life. I want to suggest to you that's a priceless gift, isn't it? You can't put a price on the gift of life. And I want to suggest to you today that life is a wonderful gift. And as I was thinking about that phrase, life is a wonderful gift, I thought of a film. One of the all-time great Christmas films. And it's been a long time since I've spoken about a film, believe it or not. And so that's what we're going to do today. In 1946, Frank Capra directed and produced this film, the picture that's going to come up any minute now, called It's a Wonderful Life. It's become a classic film. Have anyone, Anyone seen it? Of course you have, okay? In fact, me and my wife watched it again this week as I was preparing uh, for this message. And you can get it on a colour version now. So we watched it in colour. It's better in black and white, but we watched it in colour. And um, it, it's starring James Stewart and, um, and, and Donna Reed. And it's set just before and just after World War II. And I believe that all truth is God's truth, Okay? So I want to suggest to you that as we're talking about a film, you're going to see that actually God's truth is wherever it breaks out. Because all truth is God's truth and we'll see it from the Bible as well in a moment. But you know the hero in the film, the guy that James Stewart plays, George Bailey, um, he's he's a nice guy, he's a really nice guy. And as a child and as a young adult, he dreams of adventure and going to far off lands and he dreams of building skyscrapers and doing something fantastic with his life. But he gets married. No, but he gets married. Yeah, it's the wrong pause in the punctuation there, wasn't it? He gets married. Uh, he doesn't ever do that. He stays. He marries his childhood sweetheart. He settles down. He, he, he has a job. He runs a, a loan uh, company in the town of Bedford Falls, has three kids. He has a normal life. He has a happy life. Everything's going great. Then on Christmas Eve, his uncle Billy misplaces $8,000 in the bank and the evil um, local businessman, the rival called Mr. Potter, who's been after George Bailey's company and his father's company before him for uh, lots of years, he sees it as an opportunity to take the money and to put them in serious uh, situation and what unravels on that Christmas Eve uh, has become a Christmas classic but it's, it's a life classic really because of the themes you see the themes of family you see the themes of fear and of debt and of hope and despair and of friendship and right in the middle of it all is the theme of prayer and that's what I want us to think a little bit about as well and George sinks into despair and he finds himself on a bridge contemplating throwing himself into the river. He thinks actually I'm, I'm worth more dead than alive. But, but there was an angel that appeared called Clarence, a little old guy actually to, to George. And Clarence dives into the, into the water knowing the heart of George that he isn't just going to sit by. And, and George then dives in and rescues Clarence. And as they're talking and drying their clothes off, Clarence introduces himself as Clarence, angel second class. He's got no wings yet. And George is so dis, dis, despondent with life, he looks up, up at him and he says, you look like the kind of guardian angel that I'd have. You know, it's that, it's that bad, it's that bad that God had sent the bloke like you really, if there really was such a thing as an angel. But then the angel shows him what life in Bedford Falls would have been like if George had never been born. And then in the journey of the film, there are three things that George learns about this gift of life, which I think are God's truths for you and I today. And that's what I want to talk to you about. The first thing that George learns is that life's low points can become turning points. Life's low points can become turning points. There's another great film which was made uh, many years after that. And there was a great line in the film where, it's, where the character says, Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know. Would you like a chocolate? <laughs> you're well, What was it going to do? You see, life is like a box of chocolates. You never quite know which one you're going to get. And these guys are not even looking at the thing, they're just saying, this is a gift, we'll take it out. No. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is, you see, life is like a box of chocolates at one level, you never know which one you're going to get. But here's the thing, whichever one you're going to get, it's still a chocolate. So It's not that bad, is it? Even if you get the strawberry cream or all those kind of nasty chocolates, it's not really that bad because it still is a chocolate. But actually, life isn't a box of chocolates for many people. If you've switched your TV set on in the last couple of weeks, the people in Syria... And in the DRC and in Congo, life ain't a box of chocolates for them right now. Not even strawberry creams. It doesn't even come close. Life isn't like a box of chocolates. It's much more serious than that. Actually, I want to suggest to you that life is not always wonderful. It's not always wonderful, is it? It's not wonderful for people who this year are going to need the food bank because they haven't got enough money to put food on the table for them and their kids. Life's not wonderful. Life is much more serious than a box of chocolates. It's not wonderful sometimes, but even though life isn't always wonderful, life is still a wonderful gift. And and, and many of you have been to places like Africa and India, like I have as well, and you can see people who have so little, and yet they can treasure that gift of life. Because even though life isn't always wonderful, it is a wonderful gift. And what George experienced in the film, right at his lowest point, was that his lowest point became his turning point and what happens is is in this bar and he prays and this is amazing as I research this and these are the words he prays in the film God God dear father in heaven I'm not a praying man but if you're up there and if you can hear me show me the way I'm at the end of my rope show me the way God can I just say theologically that's a great prayer you know in an interview in 1977 with James Stewart the actor who played that who said that He said this to the interviewer, he said, you know what, when I said those words in the film, when they were filming me, and I said that word, he says, I inside, I thought to myself, this is true what I'm saying, he said, God does hear prayer, God does give hope to the hopeless, he says, and I wept, I didn't act it, I wept as I said those prayers, because I realised that these words that I was saying were true, that when you are at your low point, God can intervene, and that low point can be a turning point. In the Bible, in Psalm 34, this is an incre- incredible psalm. We haven't got time to look at it all, now, but you can look at it in your own time, really. David is said to have written this psalm in one of his bleakest, darkest moments of his life. He's on the run from this king called Saul, who's jealous of him and trying to kill him. And he, has to, he tries to feign madness in front of this other guy. And he ends up finally in a cave with a load of other discontented, discouraged, despairing people. But the incredible thing was, because in that low point, he looked up and he cried out to God, that low point became his turning point. And some of those guys that were with him in that cave, later on became the mighty men that stood with him as he became king of a nation. Because this is the incredible truth, that no matter how low you get in life, God can always reach you. And some of you will know that to be true, won't you? And some of you think, well, I know that to be true, but I'm in a low point right now. But you're not in a low point that is too low that God can't reach you. Life's low points can become life's turning points. David says in Psalm 34, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. And you may be in a low point right now. I don't know. Perhaps your marriage is in trouble. You know, coming up to Christmas, it's going to put immense pressure on your marriages and people say that more marriages will you know more people will be in the divorce courts you know and talking to solicitors in january than in any other month in the year because of the pressure on their marriage over the christmas season perhaps your marriage is in trouble perhaps you're running out of options in some aspects of your life perhaps part of your life is out of control perhaps you're struggling with addictions perhaps you're struggling with with life controlling issues i don't know perhaps you just feel hopeless in certain areas of your finance or work or whatever i don't know You know, David was in a cave and that low point became a turning point. Joseph was in a pit and that low point became a turning point. The apostle Peter was falling in the sea and that low point became a turning point as Jesus lifted him out. I have a friend called Richard Taylor. Some of you will know him. He uh, uh, leads some churches and, a, and, and an organization in Wales. And he's preached here in the church. And he's coming again next year. He's an amazing guy. He's planted five churches in the last three years. And he also heads up an organization called Victory Outreach. Deal with, um, especially with men that deal with drug issues and life controlling issues. Alcohol and prison, etc, etc. But Richard does that because he was also in that situation as well. He was a drug addict and in prison in Swansea when he became a Christian. And uh, he, he's, he's mad into Twitter. And if you're not into Twitter, it's basically like Facebook for people that can't be bothered to do much. that just want to write a few words. That's basically Twitter. And I do that as well. And he's mad on Twitter. And he tweeted a few things this week, which I thought were amazing. And I've written them down. He said this on the one day. He said, I used to wake up on a mattress on a floor in a bed sit surrounded by needles. Now I wake up in a warm bed surrounded by my wife and kids. The next tweet he wrote... I used to wake up to the stench of alcohol. Now I wake up to the sound of my kids' voices. The next one. I used to wake up and reach for my gear, as in drugs. Now I wake up and reach for my Bible. See, this is the kind of stuff that God can do when we look up. And you might think, well, I'm not in that kind of bad situation. You might not be. But you might be in a low point in your life. And I want you to know, Jesus said, I've come that you can have life. You are not too low that God's life can't help to lift you up. The second lesson that George learnt from this whole experience in the film is no life is ever unimportant or meaningless. You know, George goes through that whole thing about why am I alive? You know, what is the point of me being here? And he looks in the water and he says, actually, I'm worth more dead than alive to my family. And he goes through that whole thing, and I don't know whether it's because I'm in my mid-40s thirties, uh, or what, but you, know, you suddenly start asking these questions, what is my life about? And, you know, and is it, Does it mean anything? Does it count for anything? And what Clarence the angel does is he, he shows him what the whole town would have been like if George had never been born. Now when George was a kid, he was playing out with some other kids, including his brother Harry, on a a frozen lake. And Harry fell into the ice and George dived in and saved his life. And in saving his life, damaged and lost the hearing in his one ear. But Harry goes on when he gets to be older to join the army and in the war and he saves a whole ship full of people. That would never have happened if George had never been born. And not only big things like that, but the angel shows him different people in the, in the town and how their lives have been impacted through George's life. And, I, and as I watched it again, I thought, you know what? We don't believe that. We, we believe that in films, but we don't really believe that in real life. But one of the lines the angel says in the film is this, each man's life touches so many other lives. And you know what? That's true. And you might think, yeah, but I'm unimportant and I'm meaningless. No life is ever unimportant or meaningless to God. You know, Jesus says this really quirky uh, little thing in the book of Luke, um, chapter 12. And he says this, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? It sounds a little bit like a riddle. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. What on earth does that mean? Let me explain to you what that means. You need to understand the context and the culture. If you were to go into a butcher... In this day, all right? Best quality is cuts of meat, all right? But you couldn't afford any of that. Medium cuts and quality of meat, you can't afford any of that. You can only afford the basic bottom of, this is not even brisket. This is underneath that, okay? All you can afford is the cheapest, it's sparrows. That's the cheapest meat available to you. And you've only got a coin. You've got this coin, this Roman coin. It's the smallest um, uh, kind of coin. It's the, it's, it's the cheapest. It's just a tiny little coin. And you could put that coin on the table and you say, how many sparrows can I get for that? And you know what? You get two sparrows for a coin. So imagine if you were a widow or something and you put another coin down. You say, how many will I get for that? And he says, well, you got two sparrows for the one coin. You're going to get two more sparrows. You're going to get four sparrows. Imagine if you then said, I I can afford the two. What the butcher might do, I will go on, have another one. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? The fifth sparrow is the free one. The fifth sparrow is thrown in just to close the deal. Now here's the amazing thing. Many of us, many of us, many people feel like the fifth sparrow. Feel like, Actually, we're not even part of the deal. We don't really count. We're not even part of the deal. We were just thrown in to close the deal. But God says, Jesus said, even the fifth sparrow is known to me. There is nobody nobody, no life on planet earth that is not important to God. Isn't that amazing? And I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, I've felt like that. You've probably felt like that. Many people spend their whole lives feeling like the fifth sparrow. And yet God says to you today, I've come that you'd have life and your life is meaningful to me. And what does this mean? What's the application for this? What we believe about the sanctity and the dignity of human life is really important. You know, and as Christians, and you may not all class or call yourself a Christian today, and I understand that. But as Christians, if you do call yourself a follower of Christ, we need to understand that the sanctity and the dignity of human life is really important because every life matters to God. So issues like abortion and euthanasia and stem cell research and all these really difficult issues, and I know we've got doctors here who are far more up on the ethical dilemmas than I am. But all I can say is that they matter because life matters to God. And that's why when we watch our TV screens and we watch senseless killing of people, it doesn't matter about our politics. It matters because life matters to God. And we need to pray more. And we will pray, I'm sure, today for the DRC and for Congo and for Syria and for Palestine and Israel and all these issues. But we need also to understand that every life matters and every life is important. And that means, folks, that your life matters as well. And it may be today that you don't think it does. That you think that you're just the fifth sparrow thrown into the deal. But God wants to say to you over your life today, you matter. You matter. Every life matters to God. And George discovered that in the film. And the third thing that he discovered in the film, I think, was this. Living life to the full is largely down to the choices that we are willing to make. The first thing I want to say about this is that we can choose how we are going to live. We can't choose what chocolates come out the box. We can't choose what life brings to us. But we can choose how we're going to live. And the amazing thing is that when life was good for George, he lived really well. When it was summer, he invested into friendships. He did good things for people. He invested into his family. And then when it all went wrong and when it was winter, that investment that he'd already made suddenly came back. And there's a brilliant scene in the film where again he's on a bridge and again he's thinking of throwing himself in. And the policeman comes and says, George, I've been looking for you. You know, where have you been? He says, you need to come home to the house. He says, oh, what's the point? point?" He says, you need to come home. There's some great news. And they take him home to the house. And there's the creditors who are all standing ready to serve papers on him and to close the business and to close the, the house and to take the house and take everything. And, and, he's about, and, and it's like he seems to think, well, it doesn't matter because the angel's showed me what my life was really like and, and the importance of this. It doesn't matter what you do with the house and the business. And he's kind of feeling good. Then, at that moment, all of his family and friends all come in and say, George, we've all clubbed together and here's all the money. And they empty all of this money out onto the table. And then the Christmas music starts and everyone starts weeping and it's all a wonderful thing. Because it's a wonderful life and it's all really feel good. But the point is this. In that moment of his need... He'd already chosen to invest into the right things when life was good. And when you invest into the right things when life is good, it will come back when life is tough. That's what the Bible teaches Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 do not be deceived God cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up many people say to me oh i just don't have enough friends and i want to say but are you investing in friendship because if you're not investing in friendship, then when you really need it, you think, "Well, where is it? Well, it ain't there." Because if you, you're not going to sow, what you've not, you're not going to reap what you've not sown. And he chooses to live really well, and that comes back to bless him and to benefit him and I want to say to you that now is the time for us to choose to live really well you know in a few weeks we're going to head in well we are heading into the Christmas season can I just say and I for those of you who are guests you can tune out on this bit this is kind of for the church people in one sense pastorally I want to say something to you please please do not go crazy over Christmas okay do not go crazy over Christmas Christmas parties are dangerous times kissing all the wrong people don't do it okay excesses don't do it. Getting into debt because you want to buy so many gifts to prove to your kids and everyone else how, how, how much you love them. It doesn't prove you love them by going into debt. And I want to encourage you pastorally, don't go crazy over Christmas. Choose now what you're going to spend, how you're going to live, who you're going to kiss and who you're not going to kiss. And here's a little suggestion. If it's your husband or your wife, you can kiss them. Nobody else, all right? There's a good little suggestion. You're safe if you take that one. Can any of you remember like really, really bad daytime uh, programs? Any, what's the worst daytime program that you've ever thought of? Got to be Jeremy Kyle's, got to be up there, hasn't it? Did anyone remember Supermarket Sweep? Oh, what a classic program that was. Now, here's the thing with Supermarket Sweep, okay? Not that I watched it a lot. Um, here's the thing. Okay, the scenario is, the, 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 the object of the game is to shove and grab as much stuff as you can into your basket and get to the checkout before the other person. What an awful program. Isn't that like a commentary on our culture? I mean, look at all this stuff. But, but yeah, I'm just going to grab it all. And that's the problem with our culture. And this is where the price tag thing needs to really kick in. It's created within us, this kind of grab and get culture. Where we think if we can grab as much stuff and shove it into our basket, then we're going to win. That's so sad. And you know what? We don't just approach shopping like that. We approach other things like that as well. We approach friendships like that. We approach relationships like that. We approach work like that. We approach church like that. We can just grab as much for us and shove it in. And If we don't like it, then we'll just go to another church. And yet there's something really at the heart of this which we need to think about. You know, it was so funny with, um, with Noah at the start, with what, what Dan did there, because this next bit that I, I prepared to say kind of kicks in, I suppose. If you think about how babies approach life, it's really quite simple, isn't it? When a baby is hungry, what does it do? And someone comes and feeds it. When a baby is lonely, what does it do? And someone comes and feeds it. Bowel movement, go ahead. Don't even think, just let it all flow, because someone else is going to come and sort it out. Now, here's the thing. For a baby, that's absolutely appropriate. But it ain't appropriate if you're not a baby. There comes a time when just screaming and crying and letting it all hang out is not the best way to live your life. And we need to grow up, don't we? That we don't have to grab. We don't have to, we don't have to act like a baby. We're actually not like that, we can choose how we're going to spend our life and how we're going to live our life. The second thing about choosing, and this is the last thing I want to say, is that we can choose, okay, we can choose to be thankful. You know, one of the great things about enjoying the gift of life is we enjoy it best when we've got the gift of gratitude in our hearts. You know, it's amazing thing about gratitude. Gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. And if you know really grateful people, you know, researchers tell us that people who are very grateful naturally have a very low threshold. In other words, it doesn't take a lot for them to be grateful. One of the things, that, one of the blessings in our life, I suppose, is that our youngest son, Simeon, who most of you know is, um, is 18 and he's in residential care now because he's got complex special needs and disability. And um, he's a a challenge, of course, and, but he's also a joy in lots of ways. And one of the things about Simeon is that because he's 18, uh, you can look at him, he's got a big strapping lad now, but in his head and in how he outlooks on life, he's about three. Okay, about three or four. And all the way through his life, Simeon's always just been, had that ability to appreciate simple things and to enjoy simple things and to be grateful for simple things. So I remember some years ago when he was at home and we had uh, some friends came around for dinner and uh, the guy... <laughs> He's not here. The, the, guy, the guy in question uh, is a West Indian guy with no hair on his head at all. Uh, it's a totally bald, black head. And Simeon hadn't really seen this before. And um, uh, he came in and sat in our living lounge. It was the first time he'd been to the house, this friend of ours, and the last. First time he'd been to the house. And um, Simeon walked in and just like, looked at this black, shiny um, head, bald head, and just was just fascinated by it, and just walked around it and looked at it, and Touched it, and you know, and, and my friend was just totally OK, just sat there like that, I just kept saying, "Sorry, sorry." And then he left the room, and then he came back to me with one of these jelly sweets, and he put it on top of his head, and then he went and socked it off his head. And I'm like, "Why wouldn't you do that? That's like a really good thing to do. Yep, shiny things. But I mean, my friend was fine about it, but he was like we were a little bit traumatized about it. But just that ability to enjoy something simple. It's, like, it's not high tech. <laughs> Some ideas there. <laughs> it's, not, it's not high tech. You don't need like loads of money for it. But just that ability to be grateful and to enjoy something simple. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Choosing to be thankful. Choosing to be grateful. you know, Not just focusing on what I haven't got. You know, oh, I hope I get this this Christmas. I hope I get this this Christmas. It doesn't matter, does it? Choosing about the things that you have got. The gifts that God has given you. The things that God has put in your life which you can't replace with money anyway, and they're priceless. Choosing to be thankful. Gratitude is the gift God gives us which enables us to enjoy all the other gifts. It's like taste buds. You know, we we, we don't need them really because we just need food to live. God has given us this great ability to taste so that we can enjoy the food that we eat. And when we're not grateful, life degenerates into dissatisfaction, entitlement, and envy. And can I say to you, envy is resenting God's goodness in others while ignoring God's goodness in your own life. And envy is a horrible thing. And I think as coming up to the Christmas season, the whole envy thing can really rise, can't it? But we can resent the goodness of God in other people's lives and we can ignore the goodness of God in our life. You know, the, the Bible says in Colossians 3, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. And there's a lovely phrase, and cultivate thankfulness. Duncan said a few weeks ago, those of you that are here, that we can learn to be content, and that's true. But we also need to cultivate thankfulness. It doesn't happen naturally. We have to cultivate it. I don't consider myself to be naturally a very grateful person. You know, I'm sure some of you are much more grateful naturally. I have to cultivate gratitude. We can do that. Let me give you some um, ideas on that. Number one, reflect every day. Think of five things. You think of five things that you're grateful for at the end of every day. And don't just write them down, but thank God for them because they're gifts from God. You do that on a regular enough basis and you will begin to cultivate gratitude. Second thing, say thank you a lot. I don't think we say thank you enough. Not in our culture. I mean, say thank you to people who serve you and wait on you in restaurants and things. You know, say thank you for for, for people that you work with. Say thank you to your boss. Say thank you to your leaders. Say thank you to your friends. Say thank you to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, to your parents. You know, I don't think we say thank you enough. But if we say thank you more, we'll begin to cultivate a sense of gratitude. And then the third thing, appreciate imperfect gifts. There's a writer in America called Rick Warren. He's written a lot of great books. And he leads a very large church in America as well. He says that every family and every group has at least one person that requires extra grace do you know what i'm talking about and this is this is what he says he says so imagine the dinner table at christmas okay when you look around there's at least one person at that dinner table who requires extra grace and this is what he says if you look around and you can't see anyone that requires extra grace it's you <laughs> okay it's you ha. But then he says something really interesting. He says, instead of asking for extra grace, why don't you thank God for that person? Because every person is a gift and every person is imperfect and flawed, including you. Isn't that an interesting way to flip it? Rather than saying, God, God, that person is coming this Christmas. God, please help me. Why not I say, God, thank you for that person. They are imperfect. They are flawed. They might need some extra grace. But hey-ho, you've given me so much grace. God, you've given me the ability to give them a little extra grace and to thank you for them because they're a gift too, imperfect and flawed, but they are a gift. Appreciate imperfect gifts. I want to encourage you this morning. I know as we're coming up to Christmas and we're going to pray and worship in a moment and I'm going to give you the opportunity for some of you, life might be tough right now. You know, you may be at a low point in your life. Coming up to Christmas may be a painful moment for you. Thinking about lost loved ones and pain and all of that. I understand that. We're going to pray for you in a moment. But we can all choose to be thankful. I'm just aware that coming up to this season, and just because of life's life anyway, that it might be tough for some of you right now. Perhaps you're feeling at a low point in your life. Perhaps your marriage is struggling. There's a health issue. There's a work problem, family challenge maybe coming up towards Christmas that you know it's going to be a difficult and a painful time to you, for you. And you want to experience something of the life, the breath of life that God gives, that Jesus promises when he says, I've come that you'd have life. Life isn't always wonderful, but life is a wonderful gift. And I want us to just to pray for you that God would strengthen you right now. And if that's you and you just need that, then why don't you just stand with me and we'll just pray for you and then we're going to sing and worship. So then if you need that, then you just stand. is isn't because you've done anything wrong or you failed or you're sinful or anything like that. But you just want it to say, God, I need you. And I need that breath of life in me right now. Thank you, Lord. What I want to do is I want to encourage if you're sat around someone who's standing, why don't you just go gather around them just for a moment. Just put your hand on their shoulder. You don't need to say anything, but we just want to stand with them. Because one of the worst things is when you're feeling life's tough is that you think you're on your own. And you think you're that fifth sparrow. Do you know what I mean? That's thrown in just to close the deal. But God says you are not just a fifth sparrow. You are so much more important than that. Father, I want to pray for all these folks that are standing right now. God, life isn't a box of chocolates. And it isn't always wonderful. But God, it is a gift. And we receive it as a gift. And we receive your life as a gift this morning. And so God, I want to pray that the Spirit of Jesus will breathe you'd breathe your life into all these folks that you'd encourage them that you'd refresh them that you'd strengthen them that you'd bring your word to them that lord that you would just show them god just how much you love them how close you are to them lord god that at our lowest points they can be turning points that god no life is ever meaningless or unimportant and god right now we can choose and god these people are choosing to say that they need you and that they want you So, Father, by your Spirit, would you breathe life into them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for strength as they approach this Christmas season as well. I pray for grace. I pray, God, for joy in unexpected places. Lord, I pray for unexpected gifts. You know, when we open that gift, oh, I didn't expect that. Lord, I pray that they would receive some unexpected gifts, not just material gifts, but much more important than that. And, God, I pray that every person who's standing who's standing and they're saying, Lord, I need you. God, would you buy your spirit, Lord, as you did in Psalm 34 for David, when he looked up, he said, this poor man called and the Lord heard my cry. Lord, would you hear their cry, I pray. Would you strengthen them and would you encourage them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.